we are once again in our podcast within a podcast pottering around the room of requirement of Mangum Reads, where three muggles look on as our stupid cousin gets a letter from Hogwarts. My name is Sarah, and I am joined by my co-hosts, as always, BJ and Spencer. How y'all doing? Marvelous. Doing great, Sarah. So we are in a brand new uh, Harry Potter. How are you with the process? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Um, Spencer, are you reading ahead? Uh, no, I'm wow. diligently trying to only read what we have said, and that is really, really hard. <laughs> we so are have you th- been reading it out loud? <laughs> no, I'm not reading it out loud. I am sticking to the terms that we set for ourselves in one chapter at a time, and I don't think I've ever consumed, a st- I don't think I've consumed a story in like 15 page increments since I was maybe in elementary school, so this is really requiring a shift in mindset. This is the last chapter that when we started reading the first book, I read forward before I could stop myself, and then I was like, oh no, that's not really what the project is, like I need to stop now. So um, this is the last chapter of of that, although if we keep on with the schedule, um, we are and we choose to do more Harry Potter books, we will be doing this until we're 40. So... <laughs> Which isn't honestly that long for some of us. Yeah. Listen, I've got the better part of a decade before that happens. (laughs) (laughs) At least we will all know where we'll be. Yes. Um, I mean, we can always, you know, record more than one. But I think, you Mm. know, chapter by chapter, I I think chapter by chapter. Yes. It is certainly, Spencer, as you allude to, it's a very different reading. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It really does let you focus in and, and... enjoy talking about it there's no having to struggle back to remember what you read there's no having to go back through notes i've got the entire 15 pages in front of me and i'm flipping through them as we talk about it yeah you could you could have reread them <laughs> during this intro spencer i actually have gotten about halfway through as we've been talking so yes okay, that's well, why there are pauses <laughs> let me so let's go to the um summary does that seem reasonable okay the summary segment you summary think segment the ample alliteration. <laughs> I think I think G is the subject alliteration of this chapter. Well, the keeper of keys. I think we've got a oh, little true, H yeah. there. Or K there. <laughs> That's a K. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in chapter four, the keeper of keys. Um, and if anyone wants to start the timer on me, um, we left off with a boom at the door of the cabin uh, on the rock in the sea. And Vernon appears with a rifle. The door is smashed down, and an absolute giant of a man appears asking for a cup of tea. Uh, He immediately recognizes Harry and starts nattering on about his mom and dad, which is, like, low-key one of the more distressing moments in this chapter. In one of the great arguments about good guys with guns stopping whatever, the giant grabs the rifle from Vernon and ties it into a knot and throws it on the couch. The huge man produces a birthday cake. At which point Harry mm-hmm. gets himself together enough to ask who he is, who who this giant is. And of course, this is Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. And as bringer of all good, all things good, Hagrid also produces a fire, some sausages to cook, and a teapot, which is all very cozy until Harry reveals that he doesn't know anything about Hogwarts or wizards or who he is, i.e. famous. And Harry finally gets his letter. 
Hagrid pulls out an owl to write back to the school, and we get explanations of muggles as well as a pretty class A freakout from Petunia about Harry's mom and dad. And Hagrid gives us the first pretty sketchy explanation of Voldemort, how he killed Harry's parents, and the inexplicability of Harry's survival. So Voldemort is a dark wizard recruiting others, killing everyone who stood in his way. He killed the Potters, he tried to kill Harry, he disappeared, and there are then theories about where he is or isn't. The Dursleys make a last-ditch effort um, at stopping all wizard progress, which includes an ill-advised insult to Albus Dumbledore, at which Hagrid waves his pink umbrella and Dudley sprouts a pigtail, and that pretty much puts an end to the evening. Yeah. You were getting really good at making this a brief summary. Bravo. (laughs) Just um, a little bit of Jeopardy music one time. And... Just one time. No, you only have to threaten me once <laughs> and it's going to be the end of it. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of where we are in this chapter. This chapter is a lot of, um, I think, kind of expository on kind of what is going on and where we are and who we're with and kind of some of the background of, um, well, Harry Spigley. Yeah. Um, I guess... Ali can do my section, Spencer can do his, Sarah, it sounded like you had a new uh, segment to do, and then we can finish up, as always, with the questioning, Sarah, about all things uh, Harry Potter, Hogwarts, and other uh, hallowed things related. Perfect. Um, So my, there's only one uh, completely made up word that that I noticed in this chapter, and that is Mimblewimble. But there was more of an utterance than anything else. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure that that comes up other places. Interesting. Really? Um, so I also noticed Mugwump in the uh, titles of Albus Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've, I'd seen this before. And so as you know, you can do with all sort of uh, Kindle books, which is how I'm reading it, you can look things up on Wikipedia. Sure. And so mm-hmm. I had a uh, mini Spencer spiral. Um, <laughs> Welcome to my world. Um, where I found out that Mubwumps were Republican political activists around the time of Grover Cleveland. Oh, interesting. Uh, you are kidding. I, really? I am not kidding at all. You're more than welcome to look it up on Wikipedia in your next uh, spiraling uh, symphony of, of, of uh, links that you go down. Um, but basically, it uh, originated from an Algonquin word, uh, muckwump. Somebody, uh, an important person, or a kingpin, or which is previously derived from Mugumquamp, and I'm, I know I'm mispronouncing these things, and I apologize, <laughs> but um, which means war leader. Um, oh, and so it was because they were sanctimonious and holier than thou and, and kind of stuck up that they uh, got this term within uh, the politics um, in the election of Grover Cleveland. Hmm. So was Grover Cleveland a Mugwump? Um, no, because he was a Democrat. He was a Democrat. It was okay. the Republicans that switched to supporting the the Democratic candidate of oh, I see. Uh, Grover Cleveland that were then termed mugwumps. This raises obvious questions then. In what way does Albus Dumbledore mean this? Um, that well, he he's doesn't, self-important? Well, and I will say that he does not himself particularly mean this, but this is one of a number of di- different designations that he has given um, in his re- in his resume, as it were, 
Um, and so in this letter that Harry gets from Hogwarts, they list the headmaster as Albus Dumbledore, and then in parentheses, they give all of his kind of accolades, right? So we have Order of Merlin, First Class, Grand, Grand Sorcerer, Chief Warlock, uh, Supreme Mugwump, and International Confederation of Wizards. So there are a number of them, but Mugwump stands out. Let's be clear. Yes. <laughs> huh. I mean, among the definitions that you pulled, BJ, I doubt it's a commentary on his political preferences. So are we going with war leader? In which, in which case, that that's an interesting addition to the list. Well, I'm guessing the chieftain and kingpin important person from that group that, you know, was... It is the there's a longer word that meant like war chieftain um i'm guessing the self-importance of awarding house points is where he gets the mugwump uh designation should, well, should we treat this as that there should be a semicolon in front of supreme mugwump and that's a title of his position in the international confederation of wizards <laughs> it might be i'm not sure what the titles are in the international confederation of wizards but like no, i will say that none of these titles have anything to do with any sort of hierarchy at hogwarts itself so hmm. my understanding, certainly the one we really get a kind of explanation of at some point is the Order of Merlin, first class, which that is something that is conferred on you by the Ministry of Magic. And so hmm. my understanding, because none of these other um, designations really have anything to do with Hogwarts per se, is that they are all kind of um, designations that ha that come from the the government or some other sort of body. But I don't think any of them have to do with him being headmaster of Hogwarts. Gotcha. So it's kind of like Spencer could probably put like seven or eight letters after his name and yep. have designation for those. But like, yeah, I I I truly hate fellow lawyers that actually <laughs> sign Esquire after their names. Just no. It is sort of Esquire. That. Also, my my mother is a real estate agent, and she has like fourteen different abbreviations that she can put after her name. Um, I think it's kind of that, that kind of thing. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, Spencer. All right. Well, on this episode of Newbie's Notes, uh, I've got a few little things that struck me as an initial reader of this text. One is now having a full degree of exposure to Hagrid. He is my spirit animal in all sense of the word. Mm. <laughs> Hold on. I have a thing to uh, say to that, Spencer. Oh, please go on. I've got to wait for my internet to do it, but I'm pretty sure that they come up in a second. And Spencer, that what? is Stone Cold Steve Austin, Austin's intro music. <laughs> Okay, um, which is, I did not anticipate we'd have sound effects in this particular podcast, which, but I appreciate that. Which is also Hagrid's intro music, so by proxy, it's yours. Oh, well, I appreciate these mm -hmm. things. But, you know, the the fact that he uh, has a never-ending series of pockets and his attire fits me very well, as you guys know, my love of cargo pants. Uh, the fact that he has a shit memory, the fact that he loves alliteration, but tends to butcher the alliterations that he actually uses. <laughs> has food and... on him. No. Has food on him at all times. Mm, I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, Is... and I'll end with has a beard. You know, give me that one. Sure. Okay. I, I really want to see you perform feats of strength, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much more limited than his, I suspect, lacking the giant bearing. Uh, other little newbie notes that I wrote down as I was going through. Uh, I tried to defend the Dursleys early on in the story to say that they had, in some ways, understandable reasons for how they treated Harry. You guys know of my love of doing little mentorship spins on characters. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can't anymore. They are the fucking worst <laughs> after this chapter. 
they are they are horrible, horrible, vile people. Yes, upon Spencer, mm-hmm. I feel like you missed out on uh, one of our conversations where I sort of nicknamed some of this the uh, Harry Potter and the casual abuse. Um, well, yeah, quite a bit of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like that that's sort of typified in in how the Dursleys are. But I mean. There's abusing another person, and then there is there just rampant attacks on the dead in the form of the po- of the Potter parents. Wait, that's the uh, line that they crossed. I mean, I knew <laughs> th- I knew their treatment of Harry, and I knew their reasons for it. And that just seems extra salt in the wound when you've got the kid there. He's finally learning about his parents, and you're basically repeating over and over again, "They deserve to die." It just seems the height of unnecessary at that point. I get that she has a grudge against her sister, seemingly because her sister had everything that she wanted and was denied and had the love of her parents as a result. I get that. But there's a level of just evil pettiness about their characters that's fully revealed in this chapter that just leads them to be... If they weren't already, they're now confirmed as utterly unredeemable. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Let's hear other notes. Um, here's, a, here's just a little fun one. In the movie, did not did they not reverse uh, how Hagrid goes about calling Harry a wizard? In what way? Uh, in this version, I've got it as... Uh, I mean, in the movie, it's, you're a wizard, Harry. Mm-hmm. In this one, it's, Harry, you're a wizard. And that's just an interesting reversal of emphasis in the sentence. I think I like the movie version better in terms of wh- where the emphasis on the words falls. A minor little difference, but caught my eye. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And... I, think that's, I think that's true. Um, and I wonder... I, I have no idea about sort of motivation behind this. I wonder if it's a sort of difference between how you experience things when you're reading and how you experience things when you're watching them. Very possible. And the final note I got is that the fact that Albus, is, Albus Dumbledore is listed as being Order of Merlin leads to a fascinating run down the, mytholo- the mythology chain here. That if the wizarding world accepts our mythological wizards as apparently foundational elements or at least something they want to call entire orders that wizards can be part of, does this suggest a degree of overlap? Does this suggest that some of our mythical figures from fables and folklore are actually real in the wizarding world or at least have some foundation there? Or is the wizarding world cribbing our own notes or shares the same kind of uh, myths and foundational legends? That's a pursuit down the rabbit hole I will be eager to make as this story goes on. There is... At least a mention later of um, the Salem witch trials and the witches <laughs> on trial therein, um, which I think will will feed nicely into this, Spencer. Okay. Well, that is newbie's notes for me, Sarah. What you got next for us? Okay, so this is kind of the last chapter that really deals with Muggles specifically, and um, apart from the sort of ineffectual rifle that exists in Vernon Vernon Dursley's hands, I didn't really necessarily have a kind of specifically Muggle moment here. But um, I want to go back, Spencer, to something you mentioned in your in your newbies notes, and so I have a a Glad Rags Wizardware editorial board comment. Um, and I think we will learn in the next chapter that Gladrag's wizard wear is, um, well, it's a wizarding clothing shop that appears in London, in Hogsmeade, and in Paris. Um, but what I want to talk about is actually, Spencer, Hagrid's coat. Please do, because that, that, that coat is just fascinating. He pull what does he pull out of this thing? He pulls sausages, he pulls a teapot, he pulls a bottle of liquor, he pulls a full live owl and a cake. 
Um, there are a couple of door mice that are mentioned in there later. Apparently. And, <laughs> He's not sure about that. He's not sure about that. And my real point in this segment is that all most women really want out of clothes is pockets. And I am here to tell you that I really want Hagrid's coat. <laughs> Who would? Yes. Really? This coat sounds lovely. And so there, we, we learn in this chapter that there are door mice in it. There is an owl, as you said, Spencer. And this does lead into a segment about casual animal abuse that really started when Dudley threw his tortoise through a greenhouse roof last chapter um, that, BJ, you are not allowed to talk about. Um, but he has sausages yes, in there and a teapot and a birthday cake. And next chapter, we also learn that he just keeps dog biscuits in a pocket of his coat, which makes me really happy. Um, anyway, I at one point had a skirt that had pockets that you could fit sandwiches in. And this is the sort of like logical conclusion of that article of clothing. And so I'm super into it. I'm assuming, based on the fact the owl is, you know, alive, that there's a certain element of, you know, bag of holding going on with this coat. You're not allowed to put uh, animate objects into a bag of holding. If they, if they hold their breath, they can survive. <laughs> or, or provided an air supply inside. Mm, that's sort of not true. Okay. Um, so <laughs> We're conflating fantasy worlds at this point. Yes. Um, uh, so now... Um, if Sarah, if that's your uh, thing that I'm not allowed to talk about, uh, I wanted to move on to. <laughs> you can talk about the clothes. Can, you can't talk about the casual animal abuse. Uh, we can make you talk about, which is questions for Sarah. Yes. Um, and so um, I wanted to address the um, magic wand thing that that we talked a little bit about, um, mm-hmm. I believe, previously, um, which was you know how necessary are magic wands. And I assume the the this pink umbrella, uh, I think it was, is a, either a magic wand to disguise or a substitute thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is is Hagrid sort of allowed to have a magic wand and sort of a vaguely allowed to do magic? And how much of the magic things that happen that are either covered or not covered by um, the overarching um, rules and laws of magic are just pertaining to magic pertaining to things that are magical and sort of where's that borderline between things that are magical, magical spells and doing magic. Okay. Um, Yeah, this is a sort of complicated distinction. Although I will say, so in Hagrid's case, and we find out, so essentially we find out in the next chapter that Hagrid is not supposed to be doing magic. Um, And he says it here too. Yeah, he he says it here. We get a little more explanation in the next chapter, or at least a little more entreating of Harry to not tell anyone that he is doing magic. Um, What it what it comes out as, and this is not super spoilery, um, but it comes out that Hagrid was a student at Hogwarts. He had a wand. Um, He was expelled. And when you are expelled from Hogwarts, your wand gets snapped into a lot of different pieces. And those pieces are supposed to be destroyed and confiscated from you. Um, In some way or another, Hagrid has kept those pieces of the wand. And when your wand is broken, as we find out in the next book, it doesn't really work the same way as you might intend it to, but it, it still does have some ma- magical properties to it. It can still do do magic. And so Hagrid, against sort of all common sense and magical law, has kept the pieces of his wand and has hidden them in this pe- pink umbrella. 
and is using them in this situation. Now, he has gotten some leeway from Dumbledore to use magic to get Harry, um, but I, it's pretty clear that half-turning Dudley into a pig is not part of what is, pardon the expression, kosher under this situation. <laughs> <No> par. <laughs> um, so that's, that's a little different. Um, to do any of the types of advanced magic or even semi-advanced magic that they are learning at Hogwarts, you need a wand. Okay. Um, you need a wand as a wizard. There are a couple of things very rudimentary kind of emotionally based things as we kind of saw in previous chapters of wizards kind of understanding that they have some sort of magical capability that will happen without a wand. Um, Mm -hmm. Those are pretty instinctual. They don't have any kind of logic behind them necessarily. Right. And um, I think that those can, can sort of happen continuing on, although you certainly see, see less of, less of them. There are some magical characteristics that seem to just come out, um, mm-hmm. whether you mean them to or not. But then there are also magical, just magical creatures in the world that can do magic without a wand. Um, and it is not necessarily clear why they can do the magic, but it is clear in later books why they cannot have a wand, which has to do with the Ministry of Magic um, regulating who and who cannot have have a wand in their possession. Gotcha. So extensive background checks. Yes. Yes. Also, <laughs> oh, who qualifies as human and not? Um, so that com- that comes up later. But like to do the type of magic, essentially, let's say to do the type of magic that is taught at these wizarding schools, you really have to have a wand. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. Sort of. Spencer. Well. All right. Uh, two things for me. Uh, building off that one, from Hagrid's description, he's not only prohibited from using a wand, he's prohibited from using magic, at least from what he said so far in this chapter. Mm-hmm. It, Based on what we've seen with Harry in terms of an instinctual, natural, magical ability around individuals, is that a really... Is that a realistic limitation to place on a wizard? Magic just seems to be inherent and endemic to their being. It's not something that they can even necessarily avoid practicing in. Is it more that he's just kind of banned the higher order magics, or is he actually, as he said, not allowed to use magic? That's a good question. That's a, a distinction that does not get explored much. Um, I would say for all intents and pur- purposes, he is really banned from not using from not using a wand, essentially, and not doing magic that requires a wand. Um, As, and we learn this um, pretty quickly kind of throughout the books, I mean, as groundskeeper of Hogwarts, he does a lot of things that use um, potions and kind of magical things that he can buy, potentially, um, to ward off magical bugs or... (laughs) You know, like feed animals that are not, do not exist in the sort of muggle realm. Um, So he does a lot in the magical world that requires having a knowledge of the magical world that requires things that you could not get outside of the magical world, but he cannot himself create those things. Also, I'm guessing, and this is just pure speculation, that once you sort of go to school at Hogwarts for a bit, you stop doing the magical things that Harry is doing because you have training. Yes. And so mm-hmm. you have control over what would otherwise be, you know, reflex or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I would I would assume part of the education is in some ways to protect, 
to protect you and those around you from uncontrolled use of magic. Mm, I that, feel like we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that is... Whether or not that is, I'm, like, official training or not, or something that sort of just falls away, um, is a conversation kind of to have. But um, you don't... You certainly do not see as much of this kind of instinctual magic going on. Okay. Well, the follow-up from there is that we now see another chapter involving wizards of the uh, still ongoing fear of he who shall not, he who shall not be named uh, Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point, as said with the phrase, he shall not be named, that they are still deeply, years after the fact, afraid to even use his name in casual conversation. Is this... Well, I'm assuming this is kind of a reference to the speak of the devil and he doth appear kind of thing in the English idiom. Um, but is that purely superstition, or in a more magical setting, is, the, is there a reason for this level of concern about naming this particular individual? And he's described in this chapter as a, quite a murdering prick, but does the mere act of naming him bring you to threat? It does. Um, it does not necessarily at this point. Um, and I don't, I don't think this is, I mean, this is a relatively minor plot point, although it, it drives a lot of things, but, but spoiling it is not really a spoiler. Um, mm. But it is not, at this point, saying his name does not really do anything. But at some point, and I've forgotten exactly when this happens, but at some point, um, he, he, he who shall not be named picks up on the fact um, that his name and this sort of language has this power, and he ties he starts to use that. And so there does become an actual threat applied to using his name. At least so far, we've only seen Dumbledore being willing to use his name in casual conversation, mm-hmm. even presumably a very powerful lizard, wizard-like. Are, do fema- are female magic users called wizards too, or do they use sorceress? How does this They're work? actually called witches. Witches, mm-hmm. that works. A, a powerful witch like McGonagall, who I presume is you know a very capable ability, is also instinctually afraid to use it. So. Yeah. Clearly there's something going on here, I assume, beyond superstition, and I will be curious to see it more clearly laid out as we go. Yeah, and there becomes a sort of, like, major shift um, among main characters eventually to, like, no, we have to use his name. We cannot grant his name that sort of power. Wow, this this lends itself well to where we're going to end up in our next short story, does it not? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you, sir. That's all I got. Okay, so next week we will continue on in this journey and we will go to Diagon Alley, which is also kind of in your city, Spencer. Wait, what? Fort Lauderdale? <laughs> well, it's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Florida. Um, and that, that oh, might be God. my first uh, disappointing pun or, or bad pun of the uh, our section, but we'll see if I can find a, a better one. Sure. Oh. Uh, all right, on that note, next week we are moving on to... What is the name of the fifth chapter? I'm trying to pull it up real quick. It's Diagon Alley. Sarah Diagon literally Alley. just said it. <laughs> okay, now I've pulled it up, and now I see what appears to be... Is that a, is that a rocking chair with some wood laying across it? Anybody else have the pictures, or is that just, just I, my version? I, I have it, too. I don't okay. have the pictures in this book, but I will when I switch back to the American version. Really? So the British version did not come with the pictures? Not in the paperback that I have, now. They probably expected to people to read a little bit more <laughs> probably yes all right well we we will read a little bit more for next week um <laughs> and see you all back then sounds like a plan till then everybody